Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it, you would gain clarity on who Christ is. Hey, well, welcome and good morning. Welcome to Plymouth Creek Elementary. I'm so excited to be here. How about you? You good? You glad to be here? Uh, If this is your first time with us, if you're a guest with us, I just want to welcome you to uh, one of our gatherings. And uh, for those of us who call ourselves Clarity, and I just want to thank you, first and foremost, for taking time out of your weekend to be with us. In fact, uh, one of the reasons why we even do what we do here on the weekends is simply so that strangers could be friends and friends could be family. And that our hope is that Everyone who, um, who is looking to find some clarity in who Christ is eventually joins us as a movement of followers of Christ who live life on mission together with God, uh, serving the least of these. And so we're just really excited that you're here. In fact, today uh, we begin a new series. And so if you're a guest, this is actually a really great time to jump in with us. And so today we are beginning a new series. And uh, this is a series, just to let you know, this is a series for both uh, believers and those who maybe have not yet figured out whether they believe everything that they believe about the Bible, the scriptures, and who Jesus is. In fact, uh, this is a series for believers, especially if you're someone who says, I believe in God, I trust in him with my life, I, I want to surrender my life to him, because what we'll find out over the next several weeks is this. Jesus will make a huge differentiation between who are those that are not part of what we would call the kingdom of God, and what are the attributes that make someone part of the kingdom of God. Of God. And so for, the, for those of us who are followers of Christ, there isn't a more important sermon that you could look at than this sermon, which is the beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mountain. So if you're a follower of Christ, I implore you, I encourage you, join us in this journey as we take a look really at length the Beatitudes of Jesus over the next several weeks. Uh, if you're someone who maybe is a skeptic and you don't really know if you believe everything about the, the Bible and then the cross and this thing called the gospel, look, this is really a great time for you to jump in because, because um, if you're a skeptic that desperately wants to know, like I, I, there are some people out there that I, you know, I've, I know that they're, they're skeptics and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'm not trying to convince those who've already made the decision. But if you're someone who says, you know what, I... I, I realize that maybe the portrayal of who Jesus is and, and who God is and what he's done in, in, the, in the reality of what is maybe the local church nowadays um, has been turned offish to me. But, but whenever, whenever I hear about Jesus, there's something about him that still makes me want to believe that he's real. And if you are desperately trying to find some clarity on who Christ is, there's not a better series for you to be in than to listen to the actual words of Jesus and hear him begin to describe what does it mean to be someone who is part of the kingdom of God. And as you'll find out, um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not just 
an encouragement to those who are his disciples. Uh, We'll find this out later, but it's also an invitation for those who have not yet crossed the line of faith to say, hey, would you, would, would, you, would you entertain this? Would you, would you entertain this new way of living? Guess what? It's called good news for a reason. It's something that we refer to as hope for a reason. And so um, whether you're a follower of Christ or you're someone who is not, I really think this is a great series for you to be a part of. And so I just want to encourage you to, to be with us. And if you happen to miss, you can always visit our website at claritychurch.org forward slash messages, and you can always kind of catch up with us. Now, I will say that this series is a series all about, um, you know, Jesus' famous sermons and gaining clarity on how this applies to our everyday lives. But I have a warning, just a little warning. What Jesus has to say is very uh, taboo and countercultural. And, and not for the sake, and I don't say that because I'm trying to set apart, you know, Jesus is this, you know, uber countercultural and, you know, iPods and iPads are bad and technology is terrible and social media is of the devil. And, you know, you know what the mark of the beast is? www.com. That was an old joke back in the nineties. Um, <laughs> that's why it's not funny. You should have kept it there, Phil. All right. <laughs> Moving on. So where was I? Oh yeah. This So it isn't about this idea of setting apart, you know, the, Culture today is bad. When I say counterculture, I mean counter to the culture of what is human nature. Because what Jesus says here, I think we're tempted to hear this and go, well, Jesus doesn't want us to have fun. And human race has come such a long way. And we've just grown up and we've, we're so enlightened. Now. And, and you have to understand that we are no more enlightened than, than, than this generation was. And so what Jesus says here is not just revolutionary to us today, but it was revolutionary to the people he spoke to. Why? Because there's something about the human nature that both doesn't want to believe what Jesus says, but if we were honest with ourselves, there is a measure of hope and fresh air in what Jesus says. And so um, some of what we're going to talk about, you're going to be able to see the connection of how it applies to your life, and some of you are going to retain it, and some of you are going to be able to apply it right away. And, and for some of you, it'll be like a fresh breath of fresh air. You'll just go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, that's what the scripture says. That's what Jesus taught. Oh my goodness. I can finally live that way. Oh yeah, and not feel bad that it's kind of weird. Oh, yes. But some of what we're going to talk about, some of what you hear, some of you are going to say this. You're going to go, man, I wish I, I wish I heard that before. I mean, I've heard that, but I, I didn't. I didn't understand it that way. Or you're going to say, I mean, I, I wish I had known. If, if only I had known that, I wouldn't be where I am today. And, and some of you are going to feel that tension. But here's my encouragement. I want us throughout this series to embrace the tension of the ideal and the real. Okay? Uh, what Jesus says is ideal. It's ideal. But it's not unattainable. The problem is the reality of how we live our lives for many of us will make us uncomfortable in light of what Jesus says. And all I'm going to ask you to do, all I'm going to ask you to do, and it's not like you don't do this in everyday life, but just deal with the tension. Okay? You deal with the tension in everyday life. You've got, everyone's got that boss who just makes those really bad jokes, but you still smile anyways. <laughs> uh, wait, actually, that's probably me for some of you. I got a pastor... <laughs> Who does that? And uh, anyways, well, thank you very much. I bless you. All right. Um, 
But we all do it. We embrace the tension in our life. And, and what I'm going to ask you to do is to not dismiss what Jesus says or dismiss your understanding of what you think Jesus says or even, heaven forbid, dismiss my, my attempts to explain how what Jesus says applies to everyday life. Because at the end of the day, I want you to listen to what Jesus says and to explore for yourself. Because if you do, these will be not only just the Beatitudes where it talks about the people who are blessed, but I believe if you take these to heart and you own them and you believe them and you trust in the one who said them, you too will be the kind of people that Jesus said blessed are. And who doesn't want to be blessed, right? Now, one more thing before we jump into what is known as the Beatitudes of Jesus. There is a purposeful tension the words of Jesus brings. And we dare not resolve it because if what Jesus said is really what Jesus meant, and this is the, this is the more important thing. Listen, the health of your spiritual life depends on it, okay? A lot of times we talk about relational health. We talk about maybe financial health and how you can make good decisions. But every once in a while, from what we talk about on Sundays, we just like to stop and say, hey, there's a deeper type of health that sometimes we are not prone to address, which is this idea of spiritual health. And so for the next season here that we have together in this series, I just want to be open and honest. We're going to be talking about spiritual health, and some of us it'll be awkward, and maybe we're going to be tempted to believe it doesn't apply to us because we don't think about that, but I want you to engage, and I want you to deal with the tension because your spiritual life depends on it. So, you ready to dive in? You ready? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 over the next several weeks. So if you open your, uh, you can open your Bibles, you can open up your apps or whatever, whatever, whatever media, form of media that you feel most comfortable to, to open up the scriptures. We also, in our notes, um, if you grab those inside your programs, we have the scriptures written out just in case if you didn't bring a Bible, if you can't read the screen for some reason and I don't know. So we just really make it helpful for you to, to, to follow along with us. And, and I'm going to do something today that I, I usually don't do. Usually I'll talk, have a funny story, sing a little song, do that, and then we'll start the study. But here's what I'm going to do, and I'll probably do this throughout the series, is I'm going to read the portion of Scripture that we're going to look at. And then um, today, what I'm going to do is a little different. I'm just going to try this with you. So we're going to read the Scripture. And then what I'm going to try to do is present uh, a case for what this portion of scripture talks about. It's a principle. And then hopefully, if I do a good job and I don't bore you, by the time we come back to read the scripture, you will have already figured out what Jesus was trying to say. And then as we close, I'm going to leave each and every one of us with some real practical ways we can begin to live out what Jesus talks about. If that's okay with you, say, go ahead, Phil. All right. Okay. That was half of you. So anyways, let me read this and then we'll get going. Let's do this. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 3. Here we go. It says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, as we dive into understanding the depth of what is the scripture, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our ears so that we would hear 
which you would have to say to us. Not simply because we are people who desire just to know more information about who God is. But in our everyday lives, we want to live out the identity that you had created for us so long ago, back when you said it was good. And so help us to understand by your grace and by your power. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I have never been caught uh, looking for my phone with my phone, but uh, if you know me, I am a person who does lose things occasionally, sometimes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe all the time. Thank you, Anne. Hope you move to Colorado soon. All right. I'm teasing. No, I'm teasing. Okay, I'm teasing. No, no, no. Okay, so it's true. If you don't know me, I lose things all the time, right, Ron? In fact, uh, my wife, last Christmas, she gave me a, uh, she bought me this gift. It's, a, it's this little tile app, right? And uh, what's, what's crazy about it is if you lose it, you can, uh, you can open up your, 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 oh, Noah says good sermon. All right, thanks, Noah. Um, and then I, so I go like this, and I, I can't find it, and I just go like this. Right? See that? Isn't that cool? Is that cool? So I, I can find my I can find my wallet if I lose it, and and um, and let's just well I can sort of find it. The, usually the problem is it's so far away from me that I don't hear it ring. So anyways, uh, but uh, all that's to say is I am a professional loser. <laughs> not in the not in the like loser like you're a bad jerk guy, but like I'm a professional guy who like loses stuff all the time. I really know how to lose stuff. And, uh, and, and as someone who is a self-proclaimed expert at lost things, uh, one of the things that I've come to realize is this. And, and you might have realized this too if you're, if you're a loser like me. Um, this is, anyways. Um, here's, here's the thing. Lost things, here's the thing. Listen, lost things always commands the attention of its owner, doesn't it? Yeah. Lo- I mean, I, when I lose things, I become obsessed. I'm like, where is it? Ah! I can't find it. And I'm just tearing things up and tearing things up. And my wife says, are you going to put that back? I'm like, no, I can't find myself. All right, does anyone do that? Is it just me? Is it just me? No. Okay, so have you ever, you have a friend who does that? You know, somebody, right? And so people who lose things, things that are lost always, 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 always commands the attention of its owner, doesn't it? And this, isn't, this, this really shouldn't surprise anyone who knows me, but um, I am not just an expert at losing things. I'm, okay, so this is a self-therapy session today, actually. This is what I'm, I'm going to talk to you about me. You're going to help me. Uh, so I, I just don't lose things. I, I actually get lost all the time, um, which is why I love the invention of the GPS. How many of you love the GPS? Yeah, I love the GPS. Why? Because... Because I'm never lost. Or like, I, I like to tell myself, I never get lost. The only problem is, is uh, um, my kids are kind of catching on to, to, to this whole reality. In fact, uh, Brennan, one time, he, um, while, while Brennan was riding in the car with me, uh, Brennan said, said to me, uh, Mom tells me you're bad at directions. Of course, I'm like, <laughs> bad at directions? <laughs> 
what? I mean, why would you say that? And, and he goes, and he says this, he goes, well, mama's taking me to rock climbing the other day. And, and I asked her, you know, whether or not she was going to use the GPS. And then mama's like, no, I've been there plenty of times. I know how to get there. And then, and of course she said, and then I told her, well, dad uses it all the time. And he's been there more than you. I'm like, all right, okay. And then, um, of course, I made up something. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, mom's made food lots of time, but she still uses recipes. <laughs> um, or I, I don't know. I, mean, I, think, I think actually what I told him was, I, t- I told him uh, was I said, um, well, I use it so that I have up-to-date information on traffic patterns so that we're never late to your rock climbing. Do you want to be late to your rock climbing, Brennan? Or just be quiet, okay? Uh, right? I'm good at directions. I can't tell the future. So, um, why do I use a GPS for places that I've already been before? Because, because here's the thing. I don't know about you. Just like when you lose things, when you get lost, don't you get kind of desperate? Don't you? I mean, doesn't everything just like stop? And in fact, that's one of the, the biggest sources of tension between my wife and I is when uh, I'm driving and she's my GPS, right? We're not using the real GPS. And, and she's just kind of telling me. And then she does the, right here, right? Does anyone ever? No, I was like, right here. And I'm like, ah, why didn't you tell me, right? I hate that. It's just absolutely the worst. And then um, just gets me off. Some of you jumped. And that's literally, that's what happens. I'm like, ah, just anyways. Uh, but I, you get desperate, and then, and then I get mad. I'm like, because I missed the turn. I'm like, why don't you tell me? Oh, now where do we go? I don't know. Where's this? And, and it's even worse, like, when we both don't know where we're going. Because then I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always right. And so I never blame myself for being lost. I'm always like, oh, why didn't you tell me, honey? And I, I literally look like that. Um, and so I, that's just is how it, and you get desperate. And listen, when you're desperate, it's like the world around you stops, Right? And you become consumed by the desire to be found. So uh, lost things are, lost things command the attention of its owner. But when you're lost, it is as, as if the world stops. And, and, and you become consumed by the desire to be found. It's that kid is standing in the middle of the aisle. Oh! Right? It's, it's nothing else matters. I mean, he will run by a whole aisle of candy just to find his mommy, right? I mean, I mean why? Because when you're lost, you want to be found. Question is, have any of you ever been lost? Have you been lost before? Then you know the feeling of desperation that comes over you when you're lost, don't you? And this illustration of lost is really, I think it's something that everyone at one time or another will experience if you have not experienced it already. And I, because, and, and, here, and here's the interesting thing. Because everyone understands this whole idea of losing things and getting lost and the desperation that happens in the event of that, everybody connects with this. I don't care where you come from, you know. I mean, you might be from Africa. People from Africa lose stuff all the time. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're from, you're, I don't know where you're from. You're, you're from Mexico. You lose stuff all the time. You know, if you're, I don't know, if you're Korean, you, you lose stuff all the time or whatever. Except if you're Josh, because you win. You always marry up, right? So he won. Um, but, right, we lose. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, man, woman, young, old, we lose stuff. All, all of us understand what it's like to lose something. 
And because everyone understands this kind of desperation that's only felt when you're lost, I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus often used the illustration of lost things to talk about the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and you don't even have to be a, a church person to, to know about the story of the prodigal son, right? As you've heard of that. And if you haven't, in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks in his attempt to help uh, people understand uh, the kind of people that God had called him to. Uh, in fact, he was trying to answer the question, why are you hanging out with such scum and sinners? Jesus goes into the stories about lost things, and he talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin. Then he talks about one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories, which is the parable of the lost son, right? And we, we sometimes call it the prodigal son. But in his writing of the good news, Luke records Jesus using the illustration of a lost son to illustrate the kind of love a father has for a son who has realized his condition of lostness to show the Pharisees who were questioning why Jesus hung out with so many sinners. And so Jesus does this, and the Pharisees are like, why are you hanging out with these guys? They go, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about someone who was lost and realized how lost they were and came groveling back to his father just to, just to be a servant. And he even, he even he was sitting in the pigsty going, I am totally lost. I thought I had everything figured out. I thought I was a genius and able to be able to trick my father into giving me a bunch of wealth so I could live life my way, so I can live life how I want to live it and be successful in the way that I think I should be successful. But oh my goodness, I've been doing this and I've realized that I have not found my way. In fact, I had lost my way and now I'm desperate to be found. And if I can even just be just a servant found in my father's house, it would be better than living with the realities of my way and my will. And so Jesus, Jesus talks about this. He tells the Pharisees, and the Pharisees get this right away. I think they get it. They're smart and they get it. And so while many look at the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son as simply a story about Jesus' love for the lost, here's another thing. Uh, I think some people don't realize this. There, there's two sides to this story. It's also a story that invites the lost to be found. I can only imagine, if you look at the beginning of, of, of Luke chapter 15, it says, at that time, there were many Pharisees and, what, sinners who, what, came to Jesus to, to hear him speak, right? And so, I can imagine, so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, but I can only imagine that the sinners who were listening to Jesus talk about this, this prodigal son and, and, and father and, and older brother. And, and of course, the, 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 the Pharisees were, were focused on the older brother and maybe the, the lost son in a negative light. And, and maybe we're thinking about the father, you know, all these kind of things. But I can imagine the sinner listening to Jesus talk about a lost son who was living life his way and then realizing that his life was in ruins because he tried to live life his way. And I could, I could almost hear, the, I could almost see like the, the heads nodding, the heads nodding of, of these people who realize their need of Jesus. And, and Jesus is talking about this lost person who, who, who is desperate now to be back in the father's house. And, and these sinners are like, yeah, 
Oh my, I, I get it. We want, we want to be with our Father. We are lost. Jesus is talking about us. And when he gets to the part and he says, guess what? The Father sees us and he runs out and meets him. I can imagine. I can imagine the amount of hope that rises within those who were disconnected from God as Jesus basically said to them, look, you don't even have to meet me all the way. You just turn to me. God will run to you, right? I can imagine. It was an invitation to belong. And it's almost you can picture, right? You can see those heads nodding. And for the Pharisees, the story was an illustration of rebuke. But for the sinners who were listening, they got the message. Jesus was telling them that God, like the Father, was still very much in love with them and very much wanted to be in relationship with them. And all they had to do was run back home. In fact, Luke captures Jesus uh, telling another story that I, that, uh, that I could only imagine captured the heart of those who, were, who, who, who felt lost and ashamed because they had been living a life incongruent to God's standards. It's, a, it's another way that I just basically say, hey, you're living in sin. It's, you're, you're not living according to God's way. You're living life your way. In Luke chapter 18, uh, uh, Luke captures Jesus teaching this. It says this in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. And uh, we don't catch this sense in, in the English language because we have no way to completely translate it. But that, what, that it's highlighted prayer, this prayer, it, literally in, in the Greek it means uh, pray to himself. <laughs> so there's a sense that when Jesus said this, he was making it obvious that this Pharisee wasn't even praying to God. He was just kind of just kind of praying to himself. Do you know the difference? Do you know the difference between what it means to be in prayer to God, but then the difference just to pray to yourself because maybe you feel obligated to or maybe it's kind of what you do to make yourself feel better. And that's what we're going to see that this guy does. Look at this. <laughs> this guy, he's such a tool. I thank you, God, that I am not like the other people. <laughs> Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. <laughs> I fast um, twice a week, uh-huh, and I give you a tenth of my income. Right? And this is, the, this is the prayer of the Pharisee. And Jesus goes on, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He didn't, he didn't come right to the altar. He stood at a distance. And here's what it says. It says this. Stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow. Saying, oh God, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When was the last time you prayed like that? 
If you did, it's probably because you felt lost. It's probably because you felt desperate. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, return home to be home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, in a moment, Jesus, the master teacher, in just this short span, paints a clear picture of the kind of heart that enters into reconciliation with God. The kind of heart that finds itself back underneath the safe haven of what is God's home. It's not the heart that says, (laughs) I'm not lost. (laughs) I got this. (laughs) I'm good. Jesus, look at me. (laughs) I tithe. I give. I serve. I'm good. I'm good. It's not the heart that's quick to, to, to list the things that they have done as a way to help themselves feel better regarding their connection with God. But it's the humble heart that recognizes how lost they are that captures the attention of God because lost things always commands the attention of its owner. Lost things always commands the attention of its owner. Do you belong to Jesus? If you don't, you don't realize that you are his creation. And if you are disconnected from him and in any way feel lost, maybe the word for you today is that you need to know you have his attention. And he desperately desperately want you to be found. It's the humble heart that recognizes how lost they are and it captures the attention of God because lost things always commands the attention of its owner. And listen, when you're lost, you know it, right? There is no denying it. There is no quicker way to humility than the desperation of being lost. There is no quicker way to humility than the desperation of being lost. In fact, this is the definition of humility as the scriptures would define it. And we've kind of defined it in this way before, but it's simply this humility is a right view of myself and what I've done in light of who God is and what he has done, right? It's going, hey, I think I've accomplished some stuff. Oh, wait, that's right. God is creator. I think I'm pretty good. Oh, wait, God is the only one who does what is good. He is the only one who does what is right. Oh, I think I have my best interest in mind. Oh, that's right, but I did that thing I knew I shouldn't have done, and I still did it anyways. (laughs) God is the only one who has my best interest in mind, and that's humbling. And in a culture that we live in, where it says, be you, embrace you, be you, you be you, you be all you are. For all that you are, you know? And if, there's, if there are bad things about you, you know, man, don't, don't sweat it because it's part of your story, man. It's part of your story, brah. You know, it's, you know I'm not ashamed. I, have no, I live with no regrets because, you know, it's part of the journey, you know? It makes me who I am. Like, no! 
No, the, the, God wants to deliver you from who you were so that you can live life how he intended you to live it. And that is humility, understanding who you are in light of who God is and what he's done. That is humility. And if God is the creator of all things, the only one who does what is good and always does what is right, then what do our accomplishments or earthly riches look like in comparison? What do they look like? If God is creator of all things, and he only does what is right, if he owns the cattle on the thousand hills, then what do even my so-called accomplishments or riches, what does it look like in comparison to what God has done and what, who he is? What does it look like? Take a, I'll take a guess. Filthy rags. Filthy rags. And what are the kind of people who wear filthy rags? Are they the rich? Are they the affluent? Who are they? The poor. The poor, right? So when Jesus began to teach what we just read and what we're going to read again, you'll understand pretty clear, I think, what Jesus is trying to say, right? Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, listen to this again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are desperate, who realize any accomplishments or anything that they can bring to the table are but filthy rags. And no matter how good you think you are compared to God, you are poor. But then there's some of you who feel poor and you don't feel very rich and and you have to understand Jesus was very, very careful and he was very, he was the master teacher. He selected his words carefully because he wanted to teach this principle of poor in spirit, but he also was speaking to the people who were literally poor in spirit, literally broken. And it was an invitation to say, look, you in your life right now, your life may be broken, you may be poor, but listen, it's not a will be It's not a could be. It's not even a should be. But listen, if you are broken for me, desperate for me, if you have found a desire for me and are willing to enter into that journey, listen, yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's one of the only two Beatitudes that has found itself in present tense, not in future tense. So, one commentator said it best, and uh, I put it up on the screen. I, he was a little older, uh, John Gill. Some of you might be familiar with him, but I just love what he writes here, and I just want to share this with you because I think it sums this up so well, and I'm just going to read it, and you can follow along. But he sums up this verse in this way, and I just have to share it. So it says this, The greater part of mankind are insensible of this, their condition but think themselves rich and increased with goods. And there are some who are sensible of it and who see their poverty and want, freely acknowledging it, 
bewail it and mourn over it. When was the last time you mourned over your poverty? And are humbled for it and are broken under a sense of it, entertaining low and mean thoughts of themselves. Not mean as in like, be a jerk. It's the idea of mean as an average. It's kind of a, so you know, don't be thrown by his antiquated language here. But they seek after true riches, both of grace and glory, and frankly acknowledge that all they have or hope to have is owing to the free grace of God. Now, these are the persons intended in this place who are not only, quote, poor, but are poor in spirit, in their own spirits, in their own sense, apprehension and judgment, and maybe even called beggars. As the world may be rendered for being sensible of their poverty, they place themselves at the door of mercy and knock there. Their language is, God, be merciful, right? Their posture is standing, watching and waiting at wisdom's gate and at the post of her door. They are importunate, will have no denial, yet receive the least favor with thankfulness. Now, these are pronounced blessed for this reason. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not only the gospel and the ministration of it, which belongs to them. The poor have the gospel preached, as he was quoting. It's not, it not only reaches their ears, but their hearts. And enters into them and is applied unto them. They receive and embrace it with the utmost joy and gladness, but eternal glory. This is prepared for them. And given to them. They are born heirs of it. Have a right unto it. And are making meat for it. And shall. Enjoy it. So. As we begin this series. This is a series. That will most impact your life. If you can start. From the place of acknowledging. That you are lost. And that you are desperate. That nothing you can do, all your righteousness are but filthy rags compared to who God is. And none of the righteousness that you can claim for yourself is good enough to satisfy a heart that really needs to be filled with God and not the idol of self. And this series is an invitation into this journey of desperation for God. It's an invitation for those who are disconnected from God to embrace a desperation that leads into discipleship. It's a recognition of a deep need of God that leads into a deep following of God. And so if you are someone who is disconnected from God, this series is really an invitation to help you reconnect with the one who made you and who loves you and gave his life for you. And so I implore you to enter this journey with us as we look at the words of Jesus over the next eight weeks. Will it be for us? And it's an invitation for those of us who maybe we feel we're doing pretty good and we're okay to remember that righteousness is not accounted to those who have something to bring to the table for righteousness but those who recognize that all of our righteousness are truly nothing compared to the righteousness of God. 
And so for some of us, this journey will be a journey of humility and let us embrace it. Let us embrace it. And it's an invitation for all of us to embrace the desperate life, which we will learn throughout the rest of this series. And we'll talk about this next week, which is the title of our series, Divergent. And you will find that the desperate life leads to the divergent life. Let me pray with you.